Right here with AlberigoSchoolOwnerTalk.com. Allie, welcome, sir. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, and we have to welcome our, you know, our esteemed guest and a friend of mine, uh, John Hackleman, world renowned. You know, uh, so I'm going to embarrass him by saying all these great things about him. I'm going to butter him up before we get started, so he, so he doesn't come at me too hard. <laughs> so how's it going, John? Everything's good. Um, it actually couldn't be better. Sometimes I like when I wake up. It's like. Sometimes I just think, uh, why, why, why is this so good? It, it, what, what's going to, when's it going to go bad? And it just, it doesn't happen. So I just thank God every day. Yeah. So man, that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the spirit. I mean, really, honestly, Dwayne and I did a call probably about what, four weeks ago about like how lucky we are to do what we do to teach martial arts, to like change people's lives, to share what we've learned over the years and how, how cool of a profession is that? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I have a lot of great students and one of my students that was, has been with me since he was four years old. um, And he's, He's a, he's just an unbelievable kid. Now he's 21. So he's been with me since he's four. He's 21. And he just had his first pro fight. And I don't just bring guys in to fight. I mean, most of my students never fight. Like 95% of my students never fight. They just train martial arts. But I do have a fight team on the side. And he came up, you know, he came up really rough. He had a really tough time with his yeah, you know, just bad, bad things happening to him at home. But he always came to the gym, and the gym kept him, kept him uh, going. And you know, this guy's going to prison. His dad, his cousins, everybody, and he's just focusing. He got, you know, he wrestled in high school, played soccer, kept training at the gym the whole time, and he just won his first pro fight in MMA. Um, oh wow, and, that's awesome! And it was like, and it just came together like we just. You know, we just realized all the stuff we've been through together and how, you know, he just so had so many things pulling at him in his ghetto life. And, you know, and and uh, it was so emotional. It was just unbelievable. And uh, you just realize that I have so many students like that. The sheriff of this county is one of my black belts. And it's like, wow. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I, I, there's nothing. You know, I'm a registered nurse. And I keep that license going for whatever reason. It's just kind of good luck, even though I haven't been a nurse since yeah. like 2001. But I just, every day, I just wake up and just thank God. Every every day. There's, no, there's nothing I'd rather be doing in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Nothing. You know what? I love that. Hey, listen, I'm going to jump right in. I know that we've we've had conversations in the past where we've debated. I won't even, well, I'll bring the word up because I know it fires you off. And you're always, we're always, you know, uh, chasing after each other on posts with the word kata, right? And traditionalism. But I think we're kind of today, we're kind of on the same page. I'm sure you have some insight that that is, uh, you know, yeah, I know that's shocking, right? We're on the same page, but, you know, we're talking about traditionalism in the martial arts. And, you know, it's interesting. I just read a post. I forget what group it's off of, what professional martial art group. It's about 
whether martial art teachers should teach, you know, people who are ex-cons or, you know, uh, people who got out of prison who, who, are, who are in trouble. And um, the debate is raging on about that, where I'm saying, like, isn't it our job to try to help change people's lives, to try to use what we know to maybe shift what they've done in the past and help them? What, what's your opinion on that? You said it. You took some kids right out of the ghetto and changed their lives. And now look at them, you know, 15, 18 years later, he's, you know, he's amazing. You know, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think I think it depends on how they are now more than what they did. I mean, if they're a douchebag now, I don't want to try to change them. You know, a douchebag's a douchebag. You're not going to change a douchebag. But if somebody did some things and did some time, you know, committed a crime or whatever, and they're they're not now, then I, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna not have them train. But I mean, I mean, there's probably a lot of hypocrisy about that. I mean, a lot of people. You know, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, I'll train them, but then, you know, if they beat the shit out of this and they did this and they did that, but then if they did this, I don't want anything to do with them. So, I mean, right. I guess it, I mean, it's, it, it all boils down to, you know, how they are right now, what they, not what they did in the past. You know, I hope like, you know, like Charles Manson doesn't come in and want to train, but, um, right. But, you know, you know, a lot of people that made mistakes in the past, I'm not going to prevent them from training now. And and I don't really think that you make someone more of a weapon by training them. I think you you actually make them less of a of a negative weapon and more of a positive, uh, a positive person by training them. Yeah, I agree. What do you think about that, Dwayne? No, I, I agree. I mean, I concur. I, you, there's no cure for stupid. So if somebody doesn't want to straighten out, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't make them straighten out. So I, yeah. I totally agree. But yeah. I, I mean, I think we've all, right. We've all had people that we've had to let go in our studio for one reason or another. And that might be, you know, one of the reasons. Right. I've, uh, I've actually, I've actually had a guy, a UFC guy, I'm not going to mention him. But he got into a fight downtown that I looked at the police report because he told me he was he was in the right. But I looked at the police report and he wasn't completely in the right. So I suspended him for three months from the team. And um, and he had a fight coming up and he was all stressed out. And, and uh, but I stuck with it and I suspended him for three months and I let him back on the team and. Yeah, that never happened again. But it's it's you know if a kid fights at school, I don't like. We get teachers' reports from before each belt ceremony, right? And we used to do grades. I don't care about grades anymore. I really don't. I mean, I, I like the fact that we can help people focus more and get better grades. But I don't really care about a kid's grades because I don't care. Maybe he maybe he's not that smart. I don't care. But it's about loyal. It's about discipline and it's about respect. So if they. On, on our paper now, we send back to the teachers and the parents is, you know, if they if they misuse, you ever see them misusing their martial art? Do they treat their peers with respect? Do they treat their elders with respect? And stuff like that. So that's, I mean, that's a big thing for our gym, including my fight team. If I see my fight team, if my fight team, one of my guys on my fight team was acting like, you know, Conor McGregor, he'd be off my team like that. I don't care how right. much money he's bringing in. He'd be... He'd, I've kicked guys off my team that would have made me uh, five hundred thousand dollars, but I kicked them off the team because I didn't think their 
they're they they met up with our culture. So, yeah. Well, that's that's great though. I like that you just said that because you know I still have an old, and I don't know if you do do Dwayne, you do as well, Dwayne. Is um the um the old uh, teacher student promotion letter that we send out. And I love that, John, because, you know, listen, I was, it's funny. I just went to the gym this morning. I met an old friend from high school and he's like, yeah, me and you, we used to get in fights a lot together, you know? And he, and, but he said to me one important thing goes, but we never started it, but we always finished it. Right. And um, I thought back about my childhood growing up. I mean, I was not the greatest student yet. I'm an entrepreneur. I've written six books, traveled the world. So really I guess if the teachers were filling out that letter to, to my martial art teacher, they would have been said, Ali is a troublemaker. Don't give him a belt. They didn't know that there was no correlation to, you know, uh, academic intelligence and, and, you know, wherewithal and understanding and, you know, basic street smarts and intelligence. So that's a really great point. I love that. Yeah. I don't, I don't really care about the grades. I'm, I'm not a firm believer in our school system. And uh, <clears throat> I think those kids with bad grades, you know, as long as it's all about the attitude and respect. If I see, you know, one kid just showing disrespect or abusing their martial art, boom, they're up in my office and, and you know, there's going to be a, a, a conversation and they're probably not going to promote and they might get thrown out. But, yeah, that's it's, right. it's about that. So I was uh, I, I was going to say real quickly, I was having dinner last night with a friend who is a he is a director of human resources in a uh, prominent Chicago hospital. And, uh, he, him and I were talking about the fact that, uh, he was in a meeting, uh, just today or yesterday, they were talking about, you know, Oh, well this person, they're talking about their front end, you know, the receptionists and stuff when people come in, how you greet and all this other stuff. And they said that, well, yeah, those people have soft skills, uh, but they don't have the hard skills. And he actually was a little taken aback by that. He's, because what they're ter- determining soft skills is uh, interpersonal communications, not actual intelligence skills. And so him and I had a great conversation on the fact that, you know, a lot of those interpersonal communication skills are, I think, either you're born with or you actually learn and develop. But they're, those are actually harder skills to learn. You know, like him and I were talking about the fact that that's a harder skill to learn than it is you know, two plus two or two times two or uh, some of those academic skills that, that you anybody can pick up. Not everybody can be a great communicator, if that makes sense. And so and to, not everybody can treat people correctly. I mean, those are the skills that are more important. And, and we kind of had a great conversation. So it sounds to me like, John, that that's kind of what you're talking about. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, one of my favorite uh lessons in, in teaching was two things. Number one, I want Pitbull, if you know the rapper Pitbull. Yeah. Um, and Journey, the new Journey guy, the late lead singer from Journey. My wife and I went to those two concerts, and both things that stuck out of my head in person in those concerts was the way the Journey lead singer made everybody in the audience feel comfortable and like they were that like he was their best friend and and bulldog uh, pitbull pitbull the rapper who we've seen twice in concert now uh did the same thing he just made he makes everybody feel like they belong there it's like their culture their brand and and i think that's more important at the front like my front desk girl her her nickname is gangster 
Okay. <laughs> so she's not like the most outgoing, friendly person. She's actually one of my fighters on the fight team. And she's four and one and she hits like a, hits like a guy. And, but she's proud of being known as gangster. And I was like, you're at the front desk. You need to smile more. And she, but it's not her. But people are starting to get used to her. And, and, and I wish she might, you know, maybe smile a little more. But people realize she's a good person. She's friendly when you, you know, but she's just not that, you know, not that person. But, but it's here yeah. that counts more than anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, hey, so I, so I have a question for you. This, this might be an interesting one. I've always, you know, found like, and, and now, you know, you're a traditional Kempo stylist, martial artist. You've trained for many, many years. And you also, you also train fighters, right? So that they're able to win in the UFC. I mean, guys that, that are like world champions, right? Um, so let me ask you this question. Do you find that your methodology, the way you teach the traditions of the martial arts tied in with the fight game makes a better f- fighter, right? So for example, like I, I might see a guy who came up at a gym. He's never taken real martial arts, never had a, an instructor like you. And by the way, I, I want to add to this. I once saw you, we were in Vegas together. I was in a seminar and one of your students, a very world famous teacher, uh, a fighter, was was teaching, or he was there with you, and um, he was on his cell phone typing away. And you were like, he, you got mad at him. I don't know if you recall this, and you like took the cell phone and threw it. And you're like, you know, treat the people with respect, like you were on him. Now this was a world renowned UFC champion, so I don't know. We don't have to say names, but I don't know if you recall that situation. But you were hard on him, like a sensei was hard on their student, right? You were the dad, he was the the student, right? You know, and um, that traditionalism that sometimes we have to just step up. Do you find that that tied in with the fight game makes a better fighter for for longevity uh, rather than some of these fighters that win quickly in the gym and then they end up turning to drugs or getting violent, like you know, like a Conor McGregor throwing you know. Um, you know, uh, dollies and, and different things at trucks and, and getting arrested. So what are your thoughts on that? That's There's a few questions in there. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think it makes them better. I don't think it makes them a better fighter at all. Um, but it is my culture. And, and, and when people say, I let my students call me John. Okay. I, I don't mind that. And they go, oh, but the respect. I go, wait a second. I have the best fighter on the planet. I'll take his phone. I'll discipline him. He'll get me coffee. He'll come, you know, he'll come do, you know, if I tell him to do this, he'll do this. He won't talk back to me. I get the respect I need. I don't need someone to call me whatever, Kumu or, or Sifu or, or whatever. They call me John. They'll treat me with the respect. So I don't think it makes my, my students better fighters. And I know who you're talking about. And I remember that very well. Um, but uh, but it does it. That's our culture, you know. It's the respect. There's there is a you know we have a chain of command, and we do have some strict traditions at the pit, um, and they you know people know it. They get to know it really quickly, and sometimes they're a little harsher than most schools. And my fight team does integrate with my, my with my uh, with my belt class. In fact, my fight all my fighters have to be in my belt program. To be a fighter on my team, including Chuck Liddell, Glover Teixeira, Court McGee, you know, Tim, Tim Kennedy, everybody, um, and they they have to abide by the same uh, the same rules that my that my that my uh, my my belt class does. So those traditions are real, and those are the traditions I love. Um, 
So I am a traditional uh, uh, instructor. We wear our geese. I'm wearing my geese right now, my geese pants. I'm going to wear my geese at the gym. I believe in the belt system. I believe in bowing. I believe in the traditions. Um, I think they're necessary. I love the military. Um, I love the traditions of the military, and I love the way um, martial arts and the military have the respect of the of the higher ups, and and I and I I embrace that, and we do that at our gym. Even if it's a top fighter, if there's a person above him in belt, he has to show that that kind of respect, and my guys do it. So I love that. Um, the traditions that bother me are putting your hand here, ever. Ever, ever, yeah, yeah, um, or put it, or putting your hand somewhere like this, ever, 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 or some kind of weird this. Those kind of traditions to me are the kind of traditions that are damaging to the school. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't think those are the kind of traditions that should be around, unless. And I have a, a I have a, you know, unless they are compartmentalized where they belong. And I think, I think those kind of things belong somewhere, but I don't think they belong in, in, uh, in the teaching of the, of the, of the defense of the, in the martial arts. So the, when I, when we okay. talk about traditions, I do love the traditions of martial arts. And I consider myself a traditional martial artist. Um, but I honestly feel if you're not teaching uh, striking takedown defense, uh, ground game, and physical conditioning, then you are doing a disservice and you're a partial artist and not a martial artist. Wow. That, that's, that's awesome, though. I, I love that. Con- I, lo- I love everything that you just said. But I do love this. And I love, I love karate and I love all of that, where it belongs. I also love, as you guys know, if you've ever seen <laughs> one of my – I love pop locking, too. I love it. It's like – I could be watching pop lock and, but neither one belongs in a in a core curriculum of a martial arts art, uh, art school. They just don't. They just do not belong there because they take away from the reality. And I think martial arts should be real. They should teach the student how to protect himself. And the second he pulls his hand back like that, out of out of you know muscle memory in a real fight situation, he's going to get hit with a left hook. I don't, you're not fast enough to bring it up. You're just not. Yeah. I'm not from here half the time. So to me, that's a damaging thing, and it can get people hurt, and it's teaching the wrong thing. And those are the kind right. of traditions that really bother me because they get they get people hurt. And I know this firsthand because I've actually been in with guys that did that to me, and I was like, what? You know, and, and right. it's – there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it in 2019. Yeah, interesting. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that we went down that path where we could almost start talking about kata again, and you and I could argue a, a little about that. I but, love kata. Uh, yeah, I, I love what you said, though. You know, and and I'm gonna. I want to give you kudos on it at all because um, 
I do agree with you that, you know, and it's interesting, I'm going through a, a really great conversation with a parent right now talking about tradition. And he said, you know, he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want his, his child to be in the military school where we're like growing soldiers and that kind of thing, but he loves the tradition. So just like you just said, there are certain traditions that are great. Certain traditions came and, and you know, they're, they're dated, then they probably shouldn't be used. Like you said, sometimes that chamber or a certain way of standing or hand movements and all that. So let me go back to that one question though do you feel like your fighters because they go through the belt system and they have that level of respect and they're taught the lessons of respecting you treating you well treating each other well having the hierarchy um in the school learning the belt levels that they are better martial artists and they they have a stronger mind and a stronger spirit due to it or or do you say it really those two things don't have one to do with the other i yeah i don't think stronger I think stronger uh, spirit, yes. Like you'll never see one of my fighters knock another guy out and then just prance around him. They'll always show respect to their opponent. Um, always. You'll never see my fighters not showing respect. Um, so we'll make them better people. Like like someone like Glover Teixeira, who's fighting this week in, uh, in, in Florida, and I'll be in his corner. But he's a UFC, you know, top-ranked guy, you know, but – He's, a, he's an instructor. He has a school already, and he has the culture of his school is similar to mine. It's a pit, you know, and it's in Connecticut. Um, but it, it, he, he's just like Cord McGee or, or even, you know, Chuck Liddell. You know, they're, it, I think it makes them a better – martial arts and the military, the two M's. I think all – and I, I'm, I'm being – I'm going to be a sexist here, but I'm sorry. I think all – Young men need military and or or martial arts to be a better person. I think I think one or both of those things, um, either one of them, will make any any uh, young young man a better person. Young person, actually, but I'm going to go with young man for this one. And uh, I think it just makes them a better person. Martial arts. I don't I don't think anyone should not do martial. It makes no sense. It may, They'll go swimming lessons because they might drown. We live on land. We live on actually we live on the land. But they're they're worried they're more worried about they might drown someday. I mean, if you throw them in a pool at one years old and run or you know, leave, they might. But they right. they the chances of getting bullied in school with five million, you know, bullying incidents, serious bullying incidents a year, they should worry about that. That's real. And, and you can't swim your way out of a bully situation. You can't soccer your way out of a bully situation. Martial arts is, to me, the most important activity that any child can do. Without a doubt. Hey, you know, you know what? You just pretty much wrote my next ad. I'm gonna, I'm writing this down now. You can't swim your way out of a bully situation, or you can't soccer your way out of, uh, you know, of a situation. That's awesome. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. Um, but you know, you know, can I? I just had a parent tell me the other day, just two days ago, say, um, you know, we're not renewing our agreement. Um, so-and-so is going to stop. You know, she's too busy with swimming and soccer. So funny that you two things you brought up. And I said, yeah, but the martial, and it's a young girl. I said, yeah, but the martial arts is so important these days. And um, they were like, yeah, we know, but, you know, we want to focus on, you know, these two things. And I'm almost like in my mind, it bewilders me to see, like, I'm confused and perplexed. I'm like, why? Why do not people get this fact? I Let mean- me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. 
and tell me, I'm going to tell you the bad part of it. Number one, they're going to do swimming. They're going to do soccer. They're going to do something. And they're going to take them because it's, it's a sport. It's a, it's a group uh, and it's a team sport. And they go to the games and they can soccer mom here and there. And it's, 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 it's a little more fun because they're running around more and stuff like that. Uh, and then all of a sudden they think their kid's good. All right. So that now they're going to play. And the next, you know, they're on a club team and they're going, they're traveling, they're spending, they're spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars traveling all over to watch their seven year old on a club team. Right. And then, uh, and they think, Oh, my kid's going to go. And then, then they go to high school and then their kids playing that in high school and they're taking time off and, spending hours and hours and hours of driving, taking off work, spending tens of thousands of dollars more, you know, for hotel rooms and for this, for them to play in high school. Cause they might get, they might make it to college and that'll pay for their college. And then boom, by the time they're a senior, they don't make the college. They don't make it. They, they don't make their team. They don't get a scholarship. And now you just look back, you just fucking wasted like, you just wasted the last 10 years of your life and your kid's life, and you probably spent half a million dollars. You kind of bought a house, and what? where's that soccer or that swimming going to do for them now for the rest of their life? It's going to do nothing, well, nothing. Yeah. They should have done martial arts, and at worst, at martial arts, at least they'll always be able to protect themselves, and they'll look better at the beach. Yeah, right. Hey, listen, I, I read an article recently that was an actual study that proves the point that you just said, where people chase the scholarship, end up spending almost double the amount they would have spent in college to f- try to get a scholarship to save money. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It just blows me away. So, um, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting crazy. too. And by the way, the martial arts not only will make them look better at the beach and teach them how to defend themselves, but just defend themselves physically, but also spiritually, mentally, make them stronger individuals. So you and I are preaching to the choir, right? We, we know these different things. So that's super, super important. Um, so I have another question for you. So now um, with, uh, with your martial art, I know recently I watched a show that you did with um, Master Wong, right? And he's uh, from England. And a very big self-defense proponent teaches street rail self-defense. So let's talk a little bit about that, like traditions and martial arts, traditional martial arts, right? Not not the tradition that you don't like, the katas and the hands and all that, but like the, the traditional martial arts. Is it good for self-defense, the way you teach it, the way maybe I would teach it or, you know, and so on? I think that's – I think that all boils down to is your tradition – building your school up, making it better, or is your tradition built bringing it down? So it depends on the tradition. Like Master Wong, he's all about street stuff. We don't always agree on every technique in the street, but we have the overall, our overall view and goal is the same. Keep people safe. Keep people safe. So, you know, everybody's traditions are different, but I, you know, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think, the tradition, like my tradition is to throw a left hook. I think that'll keep you safe in the street. Uh, Master Wong's is more, you know, more of the Wing Chun punching and stuff. That'll keep you safe in the street. So I think the traditional martial arts, I don't think that kind of tradition is 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 whether it's going to help you or hurt you. Um, I think it's just the tradition is our culture. And, right. and if you have a bad kid tradition – then it's going to bring your school down. It'll bring your students down. If you have good traditions, 
then it's going to bring them up. But I think I think being a traditional school, sometimes people misread that and say, oh, I don't want to go to traditional school because we're going to be in a front stance standing like this. Right. And then they're going to yeah. punch like this. It's like, how's that happening? So that's the traditions that I think need to go away before they get more people killed or beat up or whatever. But the traditions of our respect, honor, loyalty, hard work, perseverance, you know, stuff like that. Those traditions need to stay. And, and I think, I think that's, that's my message to martial arts schools. Yeah, we, we had two comments from our uh, regular listeners. One of them is a Kung Fu uh, 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 Sifu, and he wrote, a Wing Chun has hooks and uppercuts too, just saying. So he's, he's making he's making a comment. The other friend of mine is a karate guy. He go, wrote, what is truly important doing martial arts and is to learn how to not be afraid of a fight. To, to gain the confidence is more important than sometimes the actual technique. So um, what do you think about that? That's craziness. That's crazy. That that is honestly like saying, well, being knowing how to actually do the surgery isn't that important. Just having the confidence to get in that operating room is. And then when you get there, you don't know how to do the surgery. Having the confidence to get in a fight without having the skills to do it is just going to get you killed. You have to have the skills to back up the 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 confidence. Confidence without skills is called a false sense of security. You know what I mean? It's like going into combat with an empty gun, right? Or a dull right. knife. Right. Indeed, right. confidence is great. Confidence is great. It's, 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 it saved my life multiple times. But there's stuff behind the confidence. It has to be built on the skill. Because right. confidence right. without skill is just an empty shell. So that's, that's, that's right. a very wrong statement. Yeah, I a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine who's a fighter, he always used to say, we always would laugh. We'd see a guy doing moves and they're, they look beautiful, but then we'd look at each other and say, but could he really fight? You know, can he really fight in the real, in the real world? Right. And, and that's important. So you're so, right. Um, not, not having yeah. the ability and having a false sense of confidence, which I think some schools um, do. They give their students a false sense of confidence because they're teaching them all this stuff. They get their black belt, they're fighting light contact. They, they never really get into it. Um, and uh, they end up not knowing how to really fight in a real situation. In fact, I, I tell my parents all the time, if a kid gets hurt, they complain, they yell at me, you know, I can't believe it. You're going too hard. I said, what do you want for them in the street? They're not going to be able to tell the guy, Hey, listen, go a little easier. I never trained at this level. It's all about life or death or, or win or lose. So I think that that's essentially a, uh, an important statement that you made. Yeah. yeah so we, yeah. we have the a confidence. Confidence without skill is, is, is a terrible idea. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a poll going and it says, are, are you a traditional school or do you consider yourself a traditional school? And most there's not a lot of people who voted, but everyone says yes so far. So um, what, what do you think about, you know, what would you say is like the criteria for a school that considers themselves traditional? I, I mean, I have my thoughts on that, but what are yours? And Dwayne, maybe you could weigh in on that too. I think that I think if your school, if your culture, um, if you feel like you're a traditional school, you're, I mean, there's, I mean, you, you can't say like I can't say I'm an MD. I mean, I can say it, but then I don't have an MD. I'm not a real MD. But if you say you're a traditional school, there's no criteria, so nobody's going to come back and say, "No, you're not. You don't meet the criteria to be traditional." 
if you feel you're a traditional martial arts school, then label yourself a traditional school. I feel I'm, I'm very traditional. I've been doing this since 1970. You know, we, like I said, I, I abide by the traditions of my, of my instructor, of my lineage, and I've taken out the, the traditions that I, that I don't like, katas, forms, choreographed movements, hands on my hip, etc., long stances. So I've taken those things out, but I'm very traditional in our belt ceremonies, our bowing, our, our gi, our, you know, the, our traditional, uh, you know, the way we, we have a, a chain of command. Um, so I, I feel we're a very traditional school, but I think a lot of people consider me non-traditional, which I'm not. I'm very traditional. Okay. That's awesome. And then, and I guess, assuming that your fighters that have fought go through your belt level, they're traditional fighters as well, or traditional martial artists, I should say. Um, and, and as yeah. well, UFC champions. So, I mean, that gives a good thing for tradition. I think that that's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah, I, I feel that's true. I, I love Kempo with an N. We're Kempo with an M, by the way. Hawaiian Kempo okay, with good. an M. M, okay. not M. So I always, I always, I always tease the, Ed Parker's guys, because their biggest, their biggest black belt, their biggest name black belt was Elvis Presley. Right. Remember, my biggest, yeah. my biggest name black belt was Chuck Liddell. So, I figure that's that kind of that says a lot right there. That's yeah. I, have, I I get it. I, I I have a ton of friends, and they, it's sadly, but but good. They're all Kempo guys. So we go out to breakfast. There's like nine of us. It's one ninjutsu dude with eight eight Kempo guys, and it's like, come on now. I need somebody who understands me better, you know. But uh, but if that's the running joke, and some of them say, "Hey, you spelled Kempo wrong." So that's a that's a funny thing. They always bust each other's chops. So, it's so Kempo, yeah, it's it's kids from Hawaii. I'm from Hawaii, and I started with Kaja Kempo. Uh, and that was my black. I got my black belt in my grandmaster in Kajakempo under Emperado. And then I broke away because I didn't want to do the katas, forms, taiokas, grab arts, punch tricks that they did. So I didn't feel it was true to their art if I called it Kajakempo anymore because I had my own, I wanted my own system. So I named it Hawaiian Kempo just for lack of a better term. So that's, it was just, it was a random you know, choice to call it Hawaiian Kempo. Awesome. Very cool. Um, one of the other listeners wrote, I think some of what you mentioned about what is traditional are more techniques being improperly taught. The low block stance or step in reverse punch, the Ipon Kamite one step sparring was all meant as very basic beginner teaching methods. Um, and uh, once basic coordination distance timing is understood, then they should graduate to know, you know, and then he went on to how to do a lead hand jab or, you know, that kind of thing and so on. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I hear all kind of stuff with this bunkai and this and that. I mean, there's whether you're advanced or beginner, you should never teach your student to put his hand here. There's just there's never a reason. Some of us, you know, they say the hitaki, the pulling, and yada yada. Well, what about pushing? Why don't they keep their hands out here like they're always pushing? Why are they always pulling? Yeah, that's it has nothing to do with pulling. But then they use this this term bunkai, which is supposed to be is supposed to like. It's supposed to excuse bad. It, it would be like excusing bad behavior. Like, like if, like if I went up to someone, I just cut in line. I go, well, reality base says that I cut in line because I had to go this way. You know, it's, it's bullshit. It's just 
they'll, they'll do a whole kata and they'll just, they'll give you a move and then they'll actually try to explain it by saying, well, if a guy did this, then you go like this and then your the spear hand will go in through their solar plexus. It, no, there's never a reason to pull. If you want to pull someone, your hand should be here so you can grab them and pull them. But walking or, or fighting in this position is just, it's never okay. It's just never okay. There's never a reason for it. And a reverse punch can be done from here. Boom. Reverse punch. Right. Jab. Jab. Reverse punch. It can be done from here, and this will keep you safe. This will get you killed. Yeah. Well, I, I teach in my school, too. Traditionally. And going from open hands of a, hey, stay back kind of thing to throwing a jab is like nothing, right? You could do it. it so hands are up, non-confrontational, and boom, the jab is set in. Or a finger jab to the eye. So it's all the same. One of the guys, Brandon, who's a, a martial artist as well, wrote, uh, train how you fight. Now, I want to comment on that, though, which is interesting because in my martial art, the art of ninjutsu, right, we, we train a specific way and, and move a specific way and do techniques a specific way. Sometimes they're not taught in martial arts schools. So obviously a fighter may look at some of our movements and go, that wouldn't work in the street. I'll give you an example. One of my guys just fought BJJ um, tournament, and he was able to win two submissions because the rules weren't against small arm locks and short arm locks and like a, you know, a, a come along type C lock and so on. And he won two submissions by doing that, which is something that we do quite often, or a reverse wrist lock or called Ikkyo in, in Aikido. Um, and it works real quick. It's damaging and devastating. I know you and I have debated whether a wrist lock works or not, but it worked in, in this situation. The guy tapped immediately. He didn't even know what was happening. He thought his arm was being snapped off. So um, how do you suggest that? Like, can you, can you incorporate some of that, you know, that, those type of things into your fighting system? Do you do that? Or you just eliminate it because you're into the striking and the elbowing and the kicking, the, you know, the three levels ground no, and, and punch. No, we're, we're equal ground to, to standing. I mean, I'm equal with my grappling to my standing where we're four parts, right? Striking, wrestling, jujitsu and conditioning. Um, I don't, I, I think a wrist lock will work and, and you'll never see one in the UFC because they don't work. It's not illegal. It just doesn't work unless you capture, you capture, you know, you know, distal. So like you, if you control distally, like if I can control their shoulder, then I can get, they finished with wrist locks before, but they don't start with one. In other words, if I have the rest of my movement, this isn't going to be enough. If you, if you, if you, uh, if you isolate my shoulder and now all of a sudden I can't use my shoulder, now you got my wrist. Uh, we don't do much of that. Um, we do more, you know, we do shoulder locks, we do arm bars, we do a lot of chokes, etc. And I think, I think, I think if a wrist lock works, it works. But a come along means just what it says. It's a come along when you have a bunch of cops or, or security. It's having the guy come along with a little bit of pain. But you don't do that alone. That's not a fighting technique. A come along is a law enforcement technique. So like, come on, guys, we're going. And they put them in like a little pain movement and they kind of walk like that or, or just get their arm a certain way. So, I mean, I think if a wrist lock can work in a situation, then, then it's great. But in self-defense situations, I'm looking at the lowest common denominator or the weakest person versus the strongest person. So I picture a 95-pound Filipino nurse, now you have a 220-pound uh, guy coming in, and he's, he's on PCP, 
she's not going to be able to wrist lock him. Hmm. You know what I mean? So, and it's taught in a self-defense context so much of the time. And I'm thinking it's never going to work in a real self, uh, self-defense context. Like if you're only just like, you know, just like an arm bar won't or a spinning hook kick won't. So, yeah, I, I would almost think that we could have another call about that and disagree for hours on it because I, I teach law enforcement all the time that are using these wrist locks and as, you know, pain point, yeah. um, like Professor Wally J used to say, pain makes believers, right? You know, and he would do finger locking and wrist locking. But when doing a wrist lock properly, it's not meant for a come along or a pain control. It's made to break, made to maim, made to right. destroy. And that's why it's not in the yeah. UFC um, because right. it could do serious damage if done correctly. Wait, like like a head. Wait, yeah, you know what a subdural hematoma is, right? Where you die, right? Of course, yeah, that's allowed in the UFC. They break their right. arms in in the UFC with arm bars. They dislocate right. and break their shoulders with shoulder locks. They break their legs with leg locks. So it's not because of that. Because you're allowed to do. You could fall back in an arm bar like Frank Mir did to Tim Sylvia and snap his arm. So you're allowed to do these techniques. You're allowed to choke someone until they're unconscious or give somebody a subdural helmet. You can kill someone in the cage legally. So I don't, I don't think that, I I don't think that they, they don't worry about breaking a wrist just like they don't worry about, you know, you dying. I mean, it's a lot. Both, both are very legal that, but there's, there's just, it's not, it's, it's, you just, you're not going to see it in the UFC. So you're not going to not see it because it's too dangerous. It's no more dangerous than a kick to the head or a knee to the head. So, and I think there's a place for him, but I don't think pain, Wally J saying pain, I don't think pain is, is, is helpful in a, in a street fight. I think separating them from their consciousness is, I think pain makes someone fight even harder. I think separating from their consciousness or making them not able, mobile so they they're they're immobile right then they can't get you but but i think pain is not a good deterrent like nothing hurts more than a liver shot but you could still keep going but for some reason it makes you it actually it actually paralyzes you just like you watch you watch uh um uh oscar de la hoya when he got dropped with bernard hopkins you just cannot actually get up and move. But pain, like you get kicked in the balls as hard as you can, that guy's still coming. Doesn't matter how much he hurts. You could slice him, you could pinch him, you could hurt him. He's gonna keep coming until you stop him by separating him from his consciousness. That's a whole yeah, different topic. Huh? No, it is. And we could talk about this. I'm gonna add to that though, real quick. I was always taught, and I and I actually teach this myself. There's two different types of pains. There's a hot pain, which is a striking pain, you know, blood, blunt force. And then there's there's an electric pain or a cold, well, cold pain is more striking, right? A hot pain is when you do locking where the body just basically moves without the brain before the brain's able to know. So like if I threw someone in a wrist lock, they might hit the floor before they even realize what yeah. happened to them if because their body is yeah. stepping in. So um, so there are two different types of pains. I don't disagree with you. You need to know both if you can, especially in self-defense. But um, but I, I think that jujitsu pain, wrist locking, breaking, and, and that kind of stuff is devastating if done properly. The sad reality is it's not being taught anymore properly. It's kind of being lost See, I don't, in translation, I think. 
See, where I disagree is I think if you broke someone's wrist, I'm not saying you can't. So I think breaking the wrist right. would be great. But I don't think the pain with the adrenaline and, 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 and other things in a fight, I don't think it's the pain that's going to stop them. I think it's the immobilizing them. Like when you break someone's arm, they still want to use it. I don't care how much pain they have. A fighter's still going to want to use that arm, but he can't anymore because the structure of the bone is broken. The muscle can't hold it up. We need the structure right. of our bones. So if you break the guy's wrist, I don't think the pain has anything to do with it, but now his wrist is hanging there and it's going to be useless, right? So right, I, think, right. I, think, I, I think that's where we stop. But anyway, so, so that's a whole anyway, different yeah. topic. Absolutely, and we should definitely uh, do that more. I wonder if guys wrote, Sound like you're an S and M guy, bro. Huh? <laughs> Sounds like you're an S and M guy with your pain. You're all about the pain. Oh I my like god! That, you I got like some whips sure over I... there. <laughs> you, got some, you got some whips in your closet. I, I, I do. We teach the art of the whip too, and, <laughs> and you know, from the Filipino martial arts. So, um, uh, so anyway, so I, I want to. We we're we're running quickly. We're already on for forty five minutes, which is amazing, right? So we have about another fourteen minutes left. So, um, I, I wanted to say too that you know, one question I always had: What do you think? And this is maybe not even related to the topic, but what do you think about some of these UFC fighters? that um, is it just improper training mentally? They didn't have the right guidance like a Conor McGregor. I heard you talk about him after his antics and all that. And now he's retired from what I hear. Who knows, unless he gets a better payday. But like, what do you think about these guys? What gets them to the point where they just, they just act a certain way where it's just so outlandish and improper? Do you think that it's the the fight game itself? Do you think that it's the, the, you know, the, the hype of it all and they get caught up in it? What are your thoughts on that? Like, wh- why do you think they act that way? Okay. So you said Conor McGregor, who else? Well, I've seen, like, I'll, I'll give you a few instances, like maybe back in the day, even like a, a Tito Ortiz back in the day, like when he used to get crazy and get in some, some fights. I'm, I'm not, you know, he was, you know, he was yeah, he had a, yeah, he got one bar fire, but, but okay. But, now you look at the population. So, I mean, it's people, not fighters, because football players, I mean, they're the worst, right? I mean, if you hear about it, um, we got, you know, you got just normal, everyday people are behaving badly all the time. A fighter, a fighter's, you know, we're, we're a microcosm of, of, of the population. We're just a, a representation of the population. So the majority of people are just going to go in the bar and hang out. The majority of the fighters are going to behave well. And then there's always that douchebag that's going to be a fucking douchebag. And same in fighting. So I, I think we have a lower t- a lower percentage of it, but there's always going to be that person. And then you give someone like that, imagine just like if you give a rapper, some of these rappers, you give them so much money, right? Then they behave even better now. And it's on a higher scale because they're famous. So he probably always had the tendency to be a douchebag. But now that he's so high up, his douchery is is so well known because it's all over TMZ and shit like that. So it's just out there more. I don't think it has anything to do with the the culture of the fighting or, or anything like that. I think it's just all of a sudden these people are out there. If he was a football player, he'd be the same thing. Or if he was, uh, if he was being a... You know, if he was a used car salesman, he'd probably be doing the same thing, but nobody would be hearing about it. So I don't think fighting made him that way or even propelled him that way. 
I think he was always that way, but fighting just made everybody see it. Right. Okay. So I, I do agree with you there. It's the small majority of the fighters, and and you're right though. Very small. You know, you, you, very small. I just fear. I fear that with all that fame and fortune and all that visibility, the average everyday person sees us, you know, martial artists, as uh, people like that, or they don't they don't respect it as well, or they fear it because of that particular action by those famous people. Like you know, I'm sure. It's terrible. People do a lot of great things for the world, right? You know, but some of the bad right. guys are making the rap community look bad or, or and well, so on. Well, that's, and that's my biggest, my biggest, uh, my biggest uh, asset is my biggest liability, Chuck Liddell. Um, right. Because everybody thinks, oh, you got Chuck training, you train with Chuck, you train with Glover, you train with this. You must, your school must be booming. They're my biggest liabilities. My fight team and my, my, my connection with the UFC is my biggest liability. I, if it wasn't for the UFC, it wasn't for Chuck, it wasn't for my not- you know knowing you know people know me for the UFC, I would probably have three times as many students as I have. Because for every student that comes to my door, probably ten walk away because they think inside that door is a big cage with blood and people beating the shit out of each other, and they they envision the pit as this rough tough place they don't realize we have three-year-olds we have you know 75 year olds we have cops we have lawyers we have teachers we have nurses we have we have uh we have a family culture there we have christmas parties halloween contests we have you know uh, easter egg hunts when it's easter but people don't know that they think it's a cage they think inside our when they finally come in and try a class if i had a dollar for every student or parent that said this, I'd be retired by now. After they try a class or have their kid try a class, they go, wow, we've been driving by here for five years, but we've been too scared to come in because we thought our kid would get the shit kicked out of them. Or we thought it would make our kid a bully or people don't want to do our fitness class because they thought they'd get beat up in the fitness class. So that culture, you know, isn't, is sometimes is a little misleading. Yeah, I have that too. I mean, and listen, and we we're a more you know uh, classical you know ninjutsu ninja art, and that's my brand and all that stuff too. But people still think martial arts in general, and they go, "No, I don't want my kid to learn how to fight." I go, "Actually, he's going to learn the opposite when they come to the martial arts school. They'll learn how not to fight, how to stay away from a fight, and God forbid they have to fight, they'll be able to do it." But um, you know, the people's misconception. How did you not want your how can you not want your kid to learn how to fight? That's that that right there is the is the is the cause of the pussification of our youth. Right there. Right. Because parents right. don't want their kid they're not saying they don't want their kid to be bullies. They're not saying they don't want their kid to go out and start fights, but not not wanting your child to learn how to yeah. fight. That's like saying I don't want my kid to learn how to defend himself. I'd rather he get the shit kicked out of him. Right. right. That's you know, what he's actually saying. I know. It's interesting. I mean, even even my thoughts on bullying, which I, I believe stem from everyone having such a thin skin. Right. You know, because now everything is bullying. You know, if I said, hey, John, I don't like your glasses. You know, you, you know, you might say, hey, you just bullied me. You know, like, why are you bullying me? Right. Or Dwayne, I don't like your glasses. Right. So now, you know, back. When I, whoa, you know, whoa. Wait. <laughs> why would you have to go there? 
Why would you have to go there? <laughs> oh my God! Pig, picking on our glasses—that's a low blow, bro. Why you not, need to get I, back I, in your? You need to go back in the closet with your leather and your whips and do some of your. I, I got to go get my glasses. The, the glasses I wear—they're very girl styled, so you better not see them on me because I look like an old woman wearing them to read. Um, but you know what's interesting to me, though, too—that self-defense mindset is not always about you know, hey, please step away and all this stuff that all these bully programs are teaching. But I think it's also about the mentality, right? Like when I was a kid, I was bullied. I, I, I grew up in, in high school. I would fight all the time, but I always had to look over my shoulder and people, I was in a band that had long hair. In fact, you could see a lot of my guitars and all that. And I was wearing spandex pants and the whole nine yards. You didn't know this about me. Um, so, uh, but anyway. That's Allie. What? Allie, that's why you were getting bullied. Exactly. Exactly. But you, but you know what though? But the same thing though, is that I didn't, I didn't take it to heart. Like I wasn't planning the next supermarket attack or going postal. Like I, I just sucked it up. I, I fought when I had to fight. I came home, I did what I had to do. And I think sometimes where, where, like you said, the wussification, we talked about that, right? Drain, we, we said that in one of our uh, topics. So John, so what is your thoughts on that? Was as far as the, you know, the, the well, the, let me say this. Yeah, let me say this, John, just to give you a quick synopsis of that podcast was that I believe that we as martial arts school owners and martial arts teachers are the last line of defense for the wussification of uh, of the kids. Yeah, without a doubt. We just we just got to get them in the doors. And it's it's uh, it's an uphill battle, but it's it's it is a battle. Yeah, the. The, you, you'll say wussification, I'll say pussification, same thing. Uh, it's weak, people getting soft and weak. And, and, and you know, I, I don't think anyone should start a fight. I, I never fight over words. You never fight over a threat. You never fight over a challenge. But you never, ever become passive because passive is, is the polar opposite of aggressive, but every bit is bad, right? So... I mean, you don't want to be that Conor McGregor, no, no, no. But you don't. You also don't want to be that 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 person that just looks the other way while his wife's getting the shit kicked out of her. So there's right. there's the two polar opposites there. We want to be somewhere in the middle. We want to be assertive. We want to be preemptive. We want to be confident, but we also want to be skilled. And the only way to beat somebody nowadays, right? is you have to be better at the violence than they are because it's a violent world out there and you're not going to beat them with nonviolence. You're just not. It's, it's a terrible thing yeah. to say and it's, people don't want to hear it, but give me another way. Give me a way you're going to stop someone from punching you in the face except to become violent back. I mean, you're not going to flow with them. This isn't, you know, you have to get violent with them. Yeah, I had a, a young child, actually, and the dad's a police officer. And the reason why they brought him to my school was because he was being picked on. And a year later, this same kid tried to pick on him again. And my student, you know, he threw two punches at him. My student blocked twice and threw him to the ground in a, in a basic Osoto Getty sweep. And the kid hit hard, like, you know, really hard because he doesn't know how to fall. And the parents were very excited that he actually defended himself. You know, other parents may have come to me and said, what did you teach my kid? Now he's a fighter. But that's the very essence of why we do what we do. So I think that that's exciting. I, I love the fact that, um, you know, all of us, you know, whether what, no matter what style, we all are looking for the same result. And that's what's great about it. 
And I get I get the parents coming saying, my kid has so much more confidence now that, you know, my kid, you know, defended himself and they tell tell me about the situation. And that makes me so proud just as much as when one of my guys wins a UFC title. I mean, both give me pride, yeah. but not, I mean, they both give me the same amount of pride. The, that kid that defended himself and now is not going to be a bully target or some, anybody's little, you know, anybody's bitch anymore. That kid means as much to me as when my guy comes and has his, one his ultimate fighter, you know, show like Corey McGee did. I mean, you know, there's tears in both to me and, and they're tears of uh, pride. Right. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So what are your thoughts, Dwayne, to, to wrap it up? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, 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 it's nice to hear that we're all on the same page, whether we agree with the whole Kata thing or, or, or what have you. But, <laughs> you know, the, I believe at least the core mission of the fact that, you know, we are uh, like for back, lack of a better term, we are the, the last line of defense for a lot of these these uh, these these kids in our society today. You know, and I, adults, I have the. And uh, yeah, agreed. But I, I have parents are amazed when I actually, you know, share with them because you're talking about, you know, you, the only way that you can uh, outfight a fighter is you have to outfight the fighter. So you have to, you have to be able to, you know, fight them better than they can fight you. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that at first my parents have a hard time with is um, I have no problem with and I'll tell them. You know, I, I have no problem with our students throwing the first punch because action is faster than reaction within reason, obviously. And then I demonstrate, you know, action is faster than reaction. And then I give scenarios. And it's amazing that some of these parents, they stop and like see that and they go, wow, yeah, I can't wait for that bully to throw the, per-. you know, my son can't wait for that bully to throw the first punch yeah. in most situations because they are going to be behind the eight ball when that happens. And I also teach them to change their verbiage because, you know, a lot of parents, what do they say? Well, you, you you can only use the martial arts when you're at the martial arts studio. Now, what the kid hears is not the same thing that the parent means. They don't, you know, the, the kid hears, and a, an obedient kid hears, well, I can't use this to defend myself. I can only use this when I'm in the school. And so I have to yeah. straighten those things out, too, which is, you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, that's – that's uh it's, it's, it boggles my mind that, that the, you know, the first punch thing, um, they don't realize, you know, the cop isn't taught to get shot first, you know, then shoot back. I mean, that one punch, I mean, it's better. And I always tell the kids, it's better to be suspended than, than hospitalized, you know? And I tell the parent, you know, like for the adult, I tell them it's better to be in court than in a nursing home. And that one punch, that one shove, one shove, right? I mean, your head hits the ground. Yep. I mean, one shove could cause a life, a, a lifetime coma, where they're waking up six months later with a tracheostomy tube, you know. And because right. they couldn't throw the first punch, they had to wait to get hit first. Next thing you know, they're waking up with a little flashlight in their eyes and a tracheostomy and a little Filipino nurse turning them. So. That's not a good thing. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I agree with you 100%. It really is a, something that we as martial artists, our duty is to help those people um, and help the world understand, like you said. I mean, I love what yeah. you said in the start of this. Why are people not 
um, thinking of martial arts as the most important thing to learn because they need to learn how to defend themselves, stay away from peer pressure, stay away from bullies. Why are they so concerned with swimming? Now I live on Long Island, so I'm like five minutes from the beaches, but at the same time, people live on land. So what's the chance? The chances are very, very low that they're going to, you know, have to swim. However, how many people, there's like 5 million people get bullied. There's, there's almost 3 million people get seriously assaulted, physically assaulted every year. What, like four fucking people drown a year? What? I mean, and they're worried about swimming lessons. Get their ass out to martial arts because we're we're land-based creatures. When we go back to the sea, when the, when the ground, when the sea rises with all the climate change, we're going to have web feet and shit like that. Then we're going to have to learn to defend ourselves in the water. But right now, that's not going to happen right now. Let's worry about what's happening on the land. Awesome. I love it. But John, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to be on the podcast and, hey, thanks. and sharing all this with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a pleasure yeah, and a privilege. Love what you guys do, man. Thank you. And I love you guys do. Man, let's next time you're in the area, last time you were in Manhattan at the fights, let me know a little bit ahead of time. I'll come and hang with you, or you could come out and stay at my house. Are you going to the Super Show? Are you guys going to the Martial Arts Super Show? No, I'm not going to be there this year. I haven't gone in a few years. I I used to speak every year at it. I was one of the hosted speakers, but they haven't had me back in a while. Um, But I have a family family gathering this year on the 4th, so I can't make it to that. So, um, but I got Master Wong coming. Oh yeah! Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, me and Master Wong are gonna do some stuff. Oh great! Well, nice. next time you're in the area in, in New York, or if you're out at Connecticut or whatever at your student school, please let's get get together and hang out, or come in and stay a day or two at my. He's school. in Dansbury. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he's in Dansbury. Okay. Awesome. All, All right. right. All right. Great. All right. Dwayne, thank you. Thanks, guys. John, thank you. Thank you, Dwayne. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks, All right. bro. See you later. Bye.